0: Hello and welcome to the Brain Health Podcast, your home for everything brain health. Today, I have three guests with me. I have Todd Saperstein, who has a master's degree in education, media design, and technology, and has held the position of chief creative officer, Patrick Melnick, who has a master's of fine arts, and he's held the position of dean of academic affairs and has been department chair of general education in higher education at uh, different colleges. And we have Katie, who's my promising research assistant that will next year undoubtedly end up at a very good school pursuing neuroscience. So welcome everybody. Thank you for having us, Elliot.
1: Thank
2: you, Elliot. It's good to see you.
0: It's good to see you guys too. So Todd brought some pretty interesting talking points to lead discussion today. Todd, you wanna kick us off, get us started?
1: Yeah, so under this understanding of that this is in regard to brain health, uh, I was hoping to talk a little bit more about creativity, which I think is sort of under, understudied. Well, probably not understudied, but I don't think we've gotten to a point of understanding it as well as we should. So I have some theoretical, philosophical perspectives on creativity, three specifically that I'd like to share, and then talk about why I think that's a value to brain health. And then, like I said, my, my interest is in hearing where the discussion goes from there.
3: Sure.
1: So my first point is, I, it is my belief that creativity has been inaccurately and inadequately defined. And I believe because of that inaccurate and inadequate definition, I think there are millions of people who are very creative who think they aren't. So I looked up a couple definitions. If you type a creativity definition into Google, The immediate definition that comes up is the use of imagination or original ideas, especially in the production of an artistic work. So imagination, first of all, can be creative, but it doesn't have to be creative. I could be imagining myself as a knight in armor uh, fighting a war. It's very imaginative, but but knights in armor existed and those wars existed. So it's not necessarily creative. It's not original. Also, the fact that it says, especially in the production of an artistic work, although there are many artists who are creative, art in in essence is not necessarily creative. Someone might be very skillful at painting flowers that look exactly like a photograph, but the flowers that they paint exist, and if the painting looks just like that, it is not necessarily creative, although it is amazingly skillful. So I believe those definitions by doing that, first of all, make you think that creativity only happens or especially happens in art, which it does not. And it also signifies that art in its, in its entire essence is creative, and that's not true. Uh, Merriam-Webster sp- just says the ability to create, which I think uses creativity to define itself, which is not a definition at all. Um, because we still could ask, well, what is creativity, though? The Oxford definition is the use of skill and imagination to produce something new or produce art. Uh, again, my problem is the connection to art, and also when we say produce, there are millions of people who have creative thoughts that don't produce anything. In other words, they have the thought, they recognize the thought, they leave it alone. So, enforcing the idea that we need to produce something. I think shies people away from being creative. You don't have to make anything. You just have to have the thought. Um, my second point is, again, and, and I say this wholeheartedly, I am a novice in quantum physics and probably not even a novice. I have an interest in it, but I do not consider myself extremely knowledgeable. But in my, persp- in my opinion – I I often compare creativity to quantum physics. Just as quantum physics seem to defy the laws of Newtonian physics, I believe that creativity or creative thinking seems to defy the laws of linear and logical thinking. I believe that creativity is omnipresent, meaning that just like quantum particles, it is both there and not there everywhere and nowhere until measured. And by measured, I mean when we have a creative thought, when we recognize that thought, we are measuring it. Um, Also, spooky action at a distance. It's interesting that two people across the world could have the same creative thought, yet not recognize that either of them is having it. Therefore, the original person that has the creative thought breaks down the creative wave function. The second person having that same thought believes that their thought is random and creative, um, but it is not anymore since that thought has already been had. But the interesting part is both of them having the same thought two different places in the world. Um, And that also brings uh, to point the idea of superposition, this idea that once a creative thought has been measured, it breaks down that wave function. Now, no one else in the world could ever have that original thought because it's already been had. Finally, and my last point, uh, creative process is an oxymoron. Uh, Creativity is an anti-process. It's a belief of mine. You know, humans are so used to categorizing and managing everything. You can manage design, you can manage innovation, but I don't believe you can manage creativity. Just in the fact that creativity is the idea of something original, meaning no walls, no floors, no ceiling, if you can't put a box around it, how can you have a process? So it is my belief that creativity is something that happens naturally. And once it has happened, We now have the ability to manage the design and production of that thought. Um, So that's pretty much the things, the ideas that I've been sort of thinking about. And the reason why I believe that matters is I think science has proven, and Elliot, this is where you and Patrick come in, that when we think creatively, we actually use more parts of the brain than, let's say, doing math or speaking, you know, which only uses one part of the brain, you know, language. So in my thought, creativity to our brain is like yoga to our body. When we, when we do yoga, it's sort of healthy body, mind, and spirit. It's really, it's holistically healthy. And I believe that to the brain, creativity is holistically healthy. So that's kind of that's why I think it matters. Finally, I know that as parents, and I have a child in school, that we always are helping our kids with math, we're helping them with English, we're helping them with science, some parents, if they are somewhat artistic, might be helping their kids with art. But I wonder how many parents are having what-if discussions with their children just to engage and sort of enhance their creative abilities. So that's that's, that's what I have.
0: All right, so yeah, lots to unpack there. So yeah, maybe we can start with uh, point one, Patrick, about definitions of creativity. Maybe, Katie, you could help out on this. Um, do, do you kind of agree with Todd that it's a bit misrepresented, a little bit misunderstood?
3: Yeah, I feel like when we think of creativity, our minds automatically go to the arts. But I think the scientific process has a lot of creativity behind it, too, because you have to start with this idea that is either understudied, that we don't have like adequate information about, or that just hasn't come up before. Then you have to come up with an entirely new process to study it, um, new tests, uh, things like that. And that involves just as much original thought as creating a new painting, if not more.
0: All right, Patrick, what do you think?
2: Well, I think um, probably in this day and age, the most creative fields in the world right now are in science and technology. Um, Those are the people that are constantly pushing the boundaries, um, changing how people think about themselves, their environment, their relationship um, to others and in the universe itself. So I totally agree with with Katie on that. Um, Definitely, Creativity goes far beyond the traditional concepts of painting, which we generally call art, um, music, literature, poetry even. And creativity, as I wrote in one, one of my papers, has become one of the most important commodities in our world today. We've It's replaced um, coal and iron ore, it's replaced um, our information technology from the 90s, and we're constantly looking for new solutions to handle problems that keep coming up. And as new problems arise, and if we keep using old solutions to new problems, we're not solving anything. And this is um, very definitely a part of creativity, how to find solutions for problems that have never arisen before, which when you think about it, is really what art painting is about. If you just go from medieval art, early, early Christian art, to medieval art, to Renaissance art, to Baroque art and move on, the artists are always finding new solutions to engage viewers, the world changed dramatically, let's say from um, the Renaissance time period to the Impressionist time period. And for the artists like Manet or Degas to create works of art that looked like a Raphael, is the lie and is not offering solutions to the world they lived in um, at the time, which is the industrial age. So in that sense, I think um, art is very closely aligned to science in the fact that seen in the right light, it is always trying to come up with um, new solutions for the new problems in the world. Agree. yeah, I agree. Now, with the idea about um, when Tao is talking about certain definitions about creativity, um, I think, um, you know, we've talked about this so much, it just doesn't make sense to me um, that people still think about creativity as an artistic endeavor. And I know it's just my little tiny bubble that I live in um but creativity um, goes well beyond anything that we can imagine. Um, and I I've been doing some new research and one of the things that I came across, and this probably is very closely connected to my um, compositions for the Darwin series of paintings is the Cambrian explosion and I see that as, an extraordinarily amazing burst of biological creativity for millions and millions of years, maybe 500 millions of years, you you had, you know, single cell bacteria and these little mollusks during the Cambrian age. And then all of a sudden, without warning, and very... Contrary to Darwin's theory of evolution, which is a type of natural progressiveness in stages, there's this huge explosion of mammals. And there's no explanation why there's this huge jump, except that suddenly the amino acids found new arrangements and new links and new chains to form new proteins, which bring about new cells, which bring about um, new life forms. And I find that to be an extraordinary way to describe what creativity is. Um, Finding connections between seemingly unrelated items, events, things, and bringing that all together to find new patterns of thought or in biological terms, new life forms.
1: No, I. that's really interesting. So do you, I always wonder, do you think of uh, creativity as an action or as an openness? Because that's the other thing that's always challenged me when you talk about that. You know, the things that happen in science, it wasn't like someone was directing that. It's just somehow these particles... Uh, you know, found new ways to connect, right, or, or created new things. And I think that um, we always look at creativity as an action. That's why you see people beating their heads, you know, trying to be creative, when I think it's less of uh, a forced action and more of just letting go and sort of being open to what may connect, uh, just naturally connect for you. Does that make sense or no?
2: Yeah, I, I don't think it's um, either or. Yeah. I think it's both. Um, you know, you could go the route of, um, there's, there's this great author, um, Jacques Monad, and he wrote um, Chance and Necessity. And it's rather this bleak look at life, um, very French existentialist, um, that there's no chance that any of us should be here, but we are, and who knows when it's going to end, and evolution, as wonderful as it is, it's just going to end, and we're gonna be replaced by new life forms. It goes on and on, and it's like, oh my God. Um, it, but but then you have someone like um, Chrisanne de Duran, who's a Nobel Prize winner in um, biochemistry, and he wrote uh, Vital Dust. And he actually sees a connection between the emerging nature of biomolecules and a connection with the emergence of the human mind, where there is this constant activity of biomolecular progression in evolution, which is all about an activity, and yet from that there are these moments of lull, quietness, that bring about an emergence of something that sort of percolates and then bubbles up to the top, if that makes sense
1: yeah perturbation
2: so I think um, creativity is an action and a quiet, which is all about um, I think maybe Elliot, you could talk about um, what do you think about the default mode network and creativity
0: okay, yeah, so I guess yeah my turn to take a stab at at creativity, so I guess yeah we 've heard a lot of different things from. Renaissance arts to uh, small molecules, to, to evolution. And uh, yeah, um, for me, um, basically the way I see creativity is connections between things that haven't been previously connected. And it's kind of as simple as that. So let's take a step back and think about like, how this can happen for, for humans and how this works. Because creativity, this is, this is a cognitive process. This is something that you is know, is gonna take part in the brain so think about when when people are most creative and you you talk to people you say like what what are some of your most creative moments and a lot of times you hear that people were mind wandering when they had this creative moment they weren't really engaged in any kind of task. they're just kind of like passively sitting there uh, maybe listening to something not doing anything overly difficult and when you're not overly engaged in a task and, and you're mind wandering what your brain's doing is is going through this circuit called the default mode network. So when it's not engaged, there's this kind of like passive network that, that basically is all about like self-reference, uh, memory, emotion, kind of like a lot of things that are really like relevant to our social lives, the default mode network. And, and what what's characteristic of the default mode network and, and creativity, both of them is that there there's little, um, activity and, and what are called the frontal lobes. So yeah, n- near the front of our heads, the frontal lobes, you know, if you're touching your forehead, those those are the frontal lobes, that, that area right there. And what the frontal lobes do is they're really good at creating, understanding, synthesizing rules. And what what destroys creativity faster than having to follow all these rules? Because if you're following all these rules to a T, you're not doing anything creative. You're thinking like logically, step by step, and uh, that's not what creativity is and in fact it's it's almost the enemy of creativity so when you see people being the most creative uh what what you see is the default mode network going uh, another example of this where there's a bunch of creativity when the frontal lobe is off is called REM sleep REM sleep REM sleep basically that's when you're dreaming it's called rapid eye movement sleep that's the REM because your eyes are, are going back and forth it's the only part of your body that's not paralyzed otherwise you'd be Acting out all your dreams, and, and your partner wouldn't like you. So, basically, during REM sleep, what you what you see is that the frontal lobe is pretty much completely shut off; it's resting, and it's the other three lobes that that are going: the temporal, occipital, and parietal lobe. Uh, you can it's top for an acronym for the other three, and uh, yeah, that's when we're we're kind of most creative. And um, kind of furthering that a little bit is. Um, there, there's some kind of like substances people can take like uh like alcohol stuff like that people claim to be sometimes more creative after drinking alcohol what, what does alcohol do it blunts the frontal lobe more than anything it, it, it's a messy drug in the brain it doesn't have like a super easy like it does this does that but like of the things it does like one of the top things it does is inhibits the frontal lobe why people have like decreased behavioral inhibition So yeah, basically what I, what I see creativity is, is the linkage of things that haven't been linked before. Once we've turned off this frontal lobe, that's all about following the rules and you can think a little bit more abstractly and creativity happens somewhere in in this space, uh, between these lobes, the top, the temporal. I
2: think, yeah, you brought up, um, a number of things that, um, bring to my mind two salient thoughts. Uh, the first is, you know, when you're talking about the, the numbing or the shutting down of the frontal lobe, you know, Charles Lamb did all those experiments in uh MRI machine of jazz musicians. And when they're playing sheet music, the frontal lobe is lit up like crazy because they're doing some sort of rote um, playing of of an instrument. But when they're told to improvise, the frontal lobe um, quiets down and other parts of the brain are lit up and you see all these different connections um, being made where... The, the jazz improvisario um, who, who's doing just on the spur of the moment, putting together sounds and notes is going into sort of that default mode network. And the other thing, what you made me think about Elliot, you know, businesses in the last 10, 15 years from Ernst and Young that Todd knows well, and many other groups, IBM even, you know, talk about the importance of creativity and finding new solutions. But in school, especially grade school and high school, more importantly, high school, we're teaching students to think in an executive control network phase only. And so they know a bunch of facts, and they know how to take standardized tests, but they don't know, as you said, Elliot, to make those connections, to be creative, to find new solutions. And that becomes a really important problem in education, and I think for brain health in general. Um, you're, You're not... Using the entirety of the brain's functionality.
1: Can I can I jump in here? Oh yeah, is that okay. I uh, don't so have to hear him. Yeah, I know. I'm so sorry.
3: Yeah,
2: the
1: same. <laughs> so, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Elliot. But the two points or the multiple points that Patrick and you brought up seem to, and correct me if I'm wrong, substantiate that creativity is more passive than it is active or requires passivity, which should, which sort of supports the the direction I was going. And so the question that I ask is do organizations of today, schools and, you know, corporate organizations, do they allow passivity for their people? Because a lot of times what we find is someone running at you with a challenge and asking you to be creative on the spot and not that that can't be done or doesn't happen, but you know, do, do organizations understand that there's this sort of need for quiet time? In other words, a need for passivity to allow our brains to shut down those frontal lobes for a bit and think of the what ifs.
2: No, I don't think they do at all. I know you were directing it towards Elliot, but I'll just jump in. No, go ahead. I I think um, that is a huge problem where we are not taught the importance of creativity and the importance of linking together different types of information to come up with something unique and novel. Um, you know, there's all sorts of examples. Um, you know, when you're folding laundry and your mind goes into that nether world of, oh my God, I've got um, Fifty more towels to fold, and then you know you start thinking, what are different ways of folding that could be more efficient or more conducive to getting things done quicker, and then your mind can go into other directions. So you could be doing something, a sort of um, rope type of activity, and. I believe you, your brain could still go into that default mode network. But this um, reminds me, there's this um, wonderful line from T.S. Eliot's Four Quartets in in the Burt Norton section, where he's talking about um, old age and what does someone do as they get older? And the line goes, Uh, What is late November doing with the disturbances of the spring and hollyhocks that aim too high? As you get into your 80s, 90s, even 100s now, um, what do you do with all those ambitions and desires that you once had but don't have the energy to accomplish anymore? That's what he's saying. But, you know, what about if we say, what is late November doing when the earth goes into this type of um, rest period? What is it doing with all the information that it has gathered through time? Disturbances of the spring, hollyhocks that aim too high. And what does it do when it it meshes all these different things together to come up with something new? Because I'm telling you, as, as I have, my mom is 94. And there's this constant battle between doing things as she did previously, but now being mobily incapacitated in many ways, finding new ways to do those things or finding new ways of living a life that is very different from how she lived life in her 60s and 70s. And I believe that type of um, activity is as creative as painting and music coming up with a new way to stay involved in the world as we age, which is all part of brain health too, which connects to creativity.
0: So Todd, you want to bring up the second point again? Maybe we can uh, spend a little bit of time with that.
1: Uh, Do you want to do the second point was the quantum physics area, or do you want to talk uh, more about sort of this? maybe we've already covered this idea of anti-process by talking about that we need that sort of passivity. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah. So just this idea of, of, I think the reason why um, the definition of creativity is inaccurate uh, and, and, and sometimes not defined at all is because of this fact that it's difficult to describe. So I'm not actually condemning, anyone are trying to to point fingers or any sort of negativity to the incorrect or inadequate definitions. I think it's just challenging Um, as is quantum physics. I mean, we know early on in quantum physics, how hard it was for people to grasp and understand and agree with, you know, we've, we've heard about the battle between Einstein um, and quantum physics, you know, this idea of the, of getting people to, to grab onto this new and very difficult to understand thing and consider it fact. So I think uh, organizations shy away from defining it too, too much because their understanding is limited and they're afraid to go too far and be wrong. So I think that's the reason. But anyways, uh, like I said, I compare, I think creativity, I compare it to quantum, not because it is quantum, but I think I look at creativity as this thing that's sort of omnipresent, you know, this creative idea is floating out there it's it's there and nowhere at the same time until a human being or any animal that has the ability for creativity because we know animals do we know that dolphins can be creative it's even been shown that octopus or octopi uh are very creative in their use of tools so i don't want to act that humans are the only ones that are creative but my point is um it's sort of there until it's recognized um, there and everywhere. Someone in China could have the original thought or someone in America, we don't know. Uh, also the idea that um, this idea of action at a distance or strange action at a distance, like I said, this idea that two people could be having a very similar creative thoughts in two different parts of the world says to me that there's some sort of entanglement, some sort of connection between thought uh, that's sort of floating out there globally. Um, Which, and that, by the way,
2: Todd, just interrupt. We've seen with Descartes and Leibniz and calculus.
1: Yeah, there you go. So that I, I think I'll leave it there, but that's why I wanted to make sure that I clarified that I'm not saying that creativity is necessarily a quantum particle, But I but I try and think about the two together because it helps me to think about this Physics, uh, This idea of physics that doesn't f- follow or conform to uh, traditional physics, and then this idea of thought that doesn't conform to traditional thought. So that's, that's where my connection is.
2: Well, I think um, you're, you're sort of on target with that, especially that entanglement theory. And if we look at that as part of um, – the default mode network and how the interactivity of brain regions are all entangled, if you will, in that type of um, resting wakefulness that is very conducive to creativity, that's very important. Um, And I do believe that there is this interconnectivity, between the universe in in a macrocosmic microcosmic way and and how we function you know one of the things you were talking about with quantum physics and the problem so much of us have with it is it defies the logic we've grown up with newtonian physics and you have to have this sort of flexibility and agility of the mind to say our experiences of gravity and functionality and mechanistic um, physical properties don't exist everywhere. There's other types of existences that we see in quantum physics that um, a particle can be both Well, an atom can be both a particle and a wave, or a quantum particle. I think I'm saying that right. Um, But in any case, you know, science, again, as Katie first mentioned um, at the beginning of, of this podcast, is extraordinarily creative. And we just have to look at it, not just as scientists, look at the scientists and how they keep coming up with new solutions Um, But looking at the world through a lens of science, and we can see, as I talked about the Cambrian explosion, how there are these um, 20 amino acids that suddenly form different links and different combinations that form new proteins. And those proteins actually fold over and take on different shapes which influence cells. And then, you know, of course you have that. Anyways, um, go on with that with DNA and then the um, ribonucleic acid and this interconnection between all of these items that bring about a newness, not just a newness of, of life, a newness of being, but a newness of how The world is presented, and I strongly believe that seeing the world through the lens of science is probably the best way to understand what creativity is, whether in quantum physics or molecular biology.
1: Yeah, if you don't mind, I'd like to jump in right there, because you said something, and thank you, Patrick, that triggered a thought I forgot about. Uh, I was studying quantum field theory, um, and they explained that basically their thought is that particles are basically excitations or perturbations in the field. Um, and, I, and it's my belief that in the same way, I think that creativity or creative thoughts are excitations and perturbations in, let's say, the thought field, if we wanted to give it you know, sort of a quantum name. Um, but you know, there are things that happen that we're not prepared for, you know, that we didn't try to make happen. They just happened. Um, but when we recognize that excitation or perturbation, uh, we then make it actual, we actualize it. And when we actualize it, then we can measure it and then we can manage it and we can design it and implement it and things like that. So I appreciate your definitions because it, it kind of helped me remember that, that sort of comparison that I had.
2: Well, now you've answered um, quite a few questions for myself personally. Where, you know, my dream has always been to open up a candle shop, but I've never known what to call it. So now I know what to call it: excitations and per- perturbations <laughs>
1: candle shop. <laughs> good. It just sounds good. Great. Good. Well,
0: that'll be nice. So, um, this is a question I had for you guys. So, so say uh, you have children, maybe school age, and you're concerned that in, in school they're not. Uh, having enough time learning how to be creative. What can you do at home with your kids to kind of like, I don't know, push for creativity and make sure that the creative bone and muscle in their body's growing right, you know?
1: Yeah. So let let me jump in. Cause I, I do have uh, I have a 22 year old who just graduated from college. We did this as well. Um, but I also have a 12 year old. Um, and, and I want to, so with my 12 year old, what we do, and this may sound ridiculous, but, you know, sometimes just con- nonsensical conversations that we'll have. Uh, let's use, you know, what if uh, Thor had a different power? Or what if he didn't have his hammer? I mean, these sound like ridiculous things, but my son and I have discussions like that all the time. And we're, we're not really heading anywhere and nothing's really real. And a lot of things that we're talking about don't exist or maybe couldn't exist. And I do that. I enjoy those conversations just because we have no direction we're going to go. Um, and and I'm not pushing him. You know, there's no time. It's not a test. Um, sometimes it's at night before he goes to bed, and we're just you know calmly having a conversation. But I think those are ways to to get them to have creative thought because we're not looking for a, a substantiated answer, and there is no wrong answer. Um, and and you know I can't think of other topics. Maybe Patrick could, but I think that's one way. Is just have these sort of nonsensical what if discussions is really interesting. But I want to tell you about um, a, a interesting thing that happened with my daughter in regards to sort of creativity and sort of this judgment we have of people. <clears throat> I remember I was driving my daughter to school. And I was just about to drop her off. And she was trying to tell me a story. And she used this like really big word, but she used it incorrectly. And she was getting out of the car. And I remember saying to her, I said, you know, Mandy, this is actually how you, what that word means. This is how you would use it. And I'm so mad at myself, but it just came out. I said to her, you know, you're smarter than that. Well, she gets out of the car and shuts the door. My window's still open and she stops for a second and I can see the wheels spinning. She turns around to me instead of running into school, she looks in the window. She goes, dad, I am smart. Just not in that way. And my the hairs on my arms stood up and I realized that I was sort of confining that interaction to a specific outcome or specific understanding. And and in regards to creativity, I think judgment, just like you said as far as uh, uh rules and regulations are the sort of death to creativity, I think judgment um or prejudgment assumption is also sort of cancer to creativity in a sense uh, because we sort of crush something before it has a chance to bloom. Does that make sense?
2: Yeah. um, I think we have to be careful about where we blur the line on things like that, where it's very important that a meaning of a word, its definition um, stays true to, to what that word is. And Oh, sure people need that or else we get a, you know, Tower of Babel story where no one knows what anybody else is talking about. But, you know, to go back to that um, nonsensical type of conversation, um, you know, I I do that all the time with um, Brandon when he was smaller, but Dominic, he's 14 now. But we just go off in this sort of stream of consciousness um, conversation where one thing leads to another from, you know, his practice of um, playing the alto saxophone to dinosaurs driving cars to, you know, spiders in canoes and, you know, what would happen... If a spider crawled into his saxophone and as he breathed in, he swallowed it. And, you know, if the spider lived through his intestine and laid eggs, how would those (laughs) eggs um, develop in him? And, you know, then his brain just keeps going and going and going. And I think that's really an important part of a, a youngster learning how to be creative. And because we have so many soccer tournaments, not so much this year because of COVID, um, but we spend hours in the car driving to these Mm -hmm. soccer games, um, that became, you know, a norm for us to fill in the time in in the drive. And it became not only engaging for me, but I, I think for Brandon and Dominic also. And so I could see them thinking in different ways. But I think, um, Todd, you came up with something important about Mandy and saying, you know, I am smart, I just don't think that way. Is it in school, you know, we're taught that you can only be smart one way, and that's to get these great scores on a ACT or SAT, or, you know, multiple choice questions, you know, on a weekly test. And we don't really know how to test creativity. And we already know there's IQ and there's EQ. Um, But I think there's also, I think you brought this up a while back. There's also CQ, a creativity quotient um, that heightens our ability to think. And it would be interesting to know if someone like Leonardo da Vinci, how well he would score on an ACT test or even Einstein, Um, because those are very linear ways of thinking and creativity um, circumnavigates and, and interlocks and entangles itself with so many different properties that that linear measurement of intelligence does not work necessarily to measure the creative intelligence of a student or a human being.
1: Yeah, agreed. They said even Einstein uh, considers most of his success or people that have studied him based on his creativity more than anything else. His ability to ask what if questions You know, what if I was standing on top of a ladder cleaning a window and fell off? You know, what would I experience on my way down? These are questions, the kind of stories that Einstein would ask himself. Um, And most people would answer a broken hip. Right, exactly. So, because they think of beginning and end and not in between. Right, right. Right. So what are, you know, I hate to throw this out, Elliot, I know you're in charge, so tell me to shut up if, if you wish, but Katie, you know you've been sort of quiet, and and I respect that and appreciate it because you're listening. But I wonder what you think about all this.
3: Um, what specifically? Just like
1: this, uh, maybe yeah. Let's say maybe this idea of of you know practicing creativity as a child more often, or with each other, or with you know uh, children.
3: Yeah, I think it's not just like what the parents can do. I think it's what the kid does on its own, Um, like independent play, I think would be really important, learning how to entertain themselves. Um, I would even compare like the whole creative process to surfing, because like you can know things to a certain point, you can know how to get on the board, but if the wave never comes, then you're not going to be able to surf. And I think um that can be relevant here because you can know like how to write how to structure an essay but if you don't have like that spark or inspiration then you're never going to learn how to write a novel so I think it's just a combination of having the training and the knowledge that foundation but then also combining that with um free thought and just mind wandering i don't think it's just one thing
1: great i don't know if you realize how brilliant that was (laughs) what are your thoughts i mean ellie i mean just the idea i don't know if you even realize by using a wave as your analogy you just connected quantum physics and creativity um (laughs) without even i mean that was i'm going to use that sometime i hope that's okay with you but i think that's a brilliant way Very simple and brilliant way to explain that. Not only do we know if a wave is coming, but we don't know what that wave is going to be. So you could prepare for a certain wave. If the wave doesn't act as you thought it would, even if you're skillful, it's going to throw you off. Right. So you have to be prepared for anything, right? Oh, Mm -hmm. I love that. I love it. I love it.
0: Beautifully put. Yeah. She has a really bright future. I, I, I look forward to see what she does at college and after. So that'll be great. Yeah. Patrick, what are your thoughts?
2: Um, I'm trying to see if I could imagine surfing and then be actually good at it, and I don't think I would. Me either. Um, But, you know, it goes back, you know what Katie said, it goes back to what we were, what Todd brought up, is creativity something that's active or passive? And, you know, sometimes you could be sitting on that surfboard, waiting for the wave to come and it never comes you know and then you go wow I didn't get to surf today that's too bad but in another sense you sat there in a sort of state of just being and letting the mind wander which brings about its own type of wave of thoughts and interconnections where I think that's just a great analogy for what creativity is. Sometimes, and I think Todd, you and I have talked about this often, sometimes you just have to be there in order for creativity to come about. You just keep working and working and working or sitting there and thinking and then who knows how it comes about suddenly the creative thought, the the inspiration, if you will, um, comes together because you've put in the time and you've practiced, but you've also let yourself be open. So like the surfer on the board, you're waiting for the wave, but you never really know when it's going to be there. But you wait anyways. And once it comes, you go into high gear, if you will. And that's, um, I think, part of a process of being creative, the waiting.
1: Yeah, great. You know, it's interesting. Actually, surfers are traditionally very philosophical. I don't know if that matters or not, but interesting, too, the guy who created Flash the software flash, the animation software was a surfer. So, there, so it's again, very interesting that this sort of analogy of surfing is, is actually very closely related to this idea of the waiting involved and the openness involved in uh, creativity. So yeah, really good. Yeah, Any, clos- got a- Any closing thoughts, Elliot?
0: Or- yeah, on that point, uh, n- another uh, person is going to be on the show in a little bit is uh, Nicholas Monacki. He's a-, a creative and a surfer as well. He's uh, created his own brand that, that's kind of based on you know, creativity, information, gathering, um, group work. You know, his, his, what his stuff, um, Patrick and, and Todd have met, met Nick before. He's a, he's a good guy. Yeah. So um, with time constraints um, in mind, uh, what, what are a couple of key takeaways that, that we can take um, from creativity? One that I just want to put forth is that um, kind of in line with what Todd was saying, creativity seems to be somewhat passive in nature. So you can't really like push yourself to be creative in a way. And I, I think um, um, both Patrick and Katie were saying kind of similar things that creativity might need to take time. And it also might need disengagement. Uh, imagine how counterintuitive that is. You'd be working by not working, disengaging. Sometimes is the best way to be creative. Sometimes you hear people say, I just need a moment away from it. And then they can come back and be more creative. Maybe that's, Maybe that has something to do with this.
2: Well, my takeaway would be, um, you have to have something in your head to manipulate into something new. And one of the most important things that we could do as parents, as educators, if you will, is to make sure the next generation understands the importance of having a broad range of knowledge that can then interact in the head and form new configurations. And that's part of what um, I think is so interesting about the concept of surrealism or so many spy novels that so many different areas come together that wouldn't normally come together. And, and so in business, who would have thought that, um, you know, Amazon would have grown into this BMF global company that would become even more wealthy because of a, of a pandemic, but knowing how to manipulate all sorts of, um, technologies and fears brought that about to an even greater degree. And I think um, learning is so important and not learning just one thing, but many different things and always insisting upon ourselves and those around us that they learn how to make connections between seemingly unrelated events and circumstances and things to come up with new patterns of thought.
1: Nice. I think my takeaway, um, and I didn't come into it with this, which, is, which I love, you know, this idea of all of us t- give, sharing our thoughts, is that creativity sort of relies on this ability, uh, this non-judgment, ability to, to not judge. And it also relies on an openness and acceptance of multiple perspectives. Um, and I think that being that creativity is such an important asset in business today, you know, almost a vital asset or vital skill in business. And we, we've seen the rising and growth of this idea of diversity and inclusion. And to me, diversity is, is just that. It's this openness to multiple experiences and multiple perspectives and appreciation for that. And I think if organizations want to be more creative, that not only they should allow for that time of passivity, um, but they should encourage this openness to uh, multiple perspectives, di- diverse perspectives, and make everyone feel included so that they, ha- they feel comfortable to share uh, that perspective, even if it differs uh, from you know, another person's. Because at the end of the day, I think all of those are very relevant to creating an environment that uh, allows for creativity.
3: I guess mine would be really similar to Todd's. I think we need to have time where we can just stop following the rules for a second. We can get to disengage the prefrontal cortex and let the default mode network take over. just any free time really where we can follow like stream of consciousness, put just any random thoughts into the world without judgment that could never hurt um, a level of creativity in an individual. I think just like as a society, it would be great if we could just slow down and accept stillness. And that honestly, I think would be one of the best things we could do for creative growth.
0: I agree. Well, excellent. Thank you so much for all your contributions and and coming in and chatting today. Oh, thank you, Elliot. I appreciate you inviting us.
2: Thank you, Elliot. It was good to meet you, Katie. Yes, I agree.
0: You heard it here first, the Brain Health Podcast.